Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor with an extra pep in my step. That is Patrick Mooney inside of Sharma. And the Cubs have won a series. <sighs> Hopefully our producer can insert like the you know champagne corks popping and the rowdy crowd celebrating. And I mean, it, it is akin to the Cubs finally winning the World Series in 2016. I, I can't think of a... I can't think of a comparable moment in my sporting fandom career. Uh, we, we, I joke-ish, but the Cubs, of course, haven't won a series since the first series of the season, which I like to point out had a game punted. So technically, you could say they didn't even win that series yet. So mid-May for the first series win of the year for the Cubs. Hooray! <laughs> It, almost a sweep too oh man if it wasn't for that oh, inches inches away if from it wasn't for that deadened ball that brett loves so much oh my god <laughs> can we have a convo about have we, have we we don't have to do it right this second but like i don't know if we have talked about it on the pod about how much the discourse about the ball this year is really pissing me off like, I, and I feel like i'm on an island i get where you're coming from but also like isolated power is down like like it is really down like it is but guess what if you compare april and may of 2016 and before is it similar we're looking pretty comparable except for the fact that pitchers are better oh oh, it drives (laughs) me crazy and i'm not saying you but it's just like people i haven't complained about post these statistics with no (laughs) context whatsoever and the two big things again it's early in the season, so let's get some apples to apples. Two, pitchers are getting better every year, so that's a factor. And then three, MLB is intentionally trying to bring the ball back to where it was before they started monkeying with it in 2017. Like, which was it? I was there when every ball, every pop-up went over the wall, and everyone was like, these balls are juiced, this is ridiculous, and MLB <laughs> yeah. was not telling the truth about it and everyone was so pissed and it was like this is a scandal okay and then they're like yeah we did my bad we did (laughs) and then they're trying to fix it and it seems to be working and everyone's like these stupid dead baseballs (laughs) how did the frank schwindel got robbed oh this is so cruel (laughs) by the way love frank that was an amazing moment i wish it had gone out in some cases it would but you're talking about it was a 33 degree 102.5 that's on the very edge of being a barrel, just barely a barrel. That ball does not always go out, especially at night in May in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's like a guy who just got sent down to AAA <laughs> Iowa because he wasn't hitting hits a fly ball in like one of the most pitcher friendly parks ever. 
And like, we're, what, is there going to be like some like 30 for 30 or marquee documentary about the time Frank Schwindel <laughs> almost hit a grand slam <laughs> if in a totally meaningless out, game? Yeah. Like, it's going to be one of the worst Cubs seasons of all time. Like, okay, well, maybe they'll the lose like ball. 101 games instead of 100. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, that's how close it was. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then anyway, that was the, they were close to a sweep, but for, but for the completely deadened balls. Uh, <laughs> That are also inconsistent and also sometimes too sticky and sometimes not sticky enough. And uh, you apparently know, on Sunday Night Baseball, they use the juice baseball, all oh sorts of madness going around. That one. I love that. One. <laughs> yeah, that I absolutely good. love the theory that MLB wants to dejuice the balls. Before, because that's the best version of the sport, but also wants to juice them for the most watched games. <laughs> yes, that ta- that tracks. Oh, We've really dear. thought these conspiracies through. <laughs> I I don't think they're thinking anything when they come up with this stuff. They're just whatever makes sense at the time, whatever makes sense and for I your know team. Bef- before we get angry, tweets and emails. I know some of you do have considered takes on this, and I am I am being a little over the top in my annoyance about this so you can you can click that unsend button i think this is where the anthony rizzo it's just baseball quote works because i was trying to think of like another sport like there was deflate gate and that was like one team a very specific team in like one game that became a big thing like this is major league baseball across thousands and thousands of games across multiple years uh spanning like you know what I had said in a previous podcast, we need Lester and Lackey to just weigh in on this all the time. I'm sure they would have had very considered takes on this <laughs> as well. The dead ball, live ball, juice ball era. But like this is like classic baseball. Like, of course they haven't figured out the baseball yet. Like, why, why would they? Like, what, what in their recent track record makes you think it's like, all right, they're going to hammer this out. Both sides will come <laughs> together and really way. figure out a great solution. Like, there's no, no evidence in any of the things that they've touched over the last several years that would make you think like, oh, yeah, they got they got this one under control. Don't worry about it, guys. And I think still parts of the baseball construction process for the big league ball are are by hand, right? They're not it's not entirely automated. Right. So, like, I don't know. Seems like when you're involving humans in creating these things at some level, you're going to have variance. I mean, we we see it with the umpires. Uh, when you involve humans in jobs that robots could otherwise do, uh, you see issues. Like a drone in the outfield, perhaps, staying above the playing surface so that he couldn't accidentally collide with a shortstop and uh, take him out of action oh, for a while. Let's so let's okay. Let's get into some some hashtag content here. With with that said, so in the series clinching win by the Cubs uh, early in the game, Nico Horner was going out for a possible relay throw on a ball to center field from Jason Hayward, and the second base umpire was also going out, presumably to be in a position to observe a catch. I don't know. And it, it it may have been his first game ever because he did not know that you're supposed to be aware of any players uh, around you. Because for the first time I can remember ever seeing the umpire collided with a player in the outfield. Uh, I mean, it's like it, it's the classic. You had one job, you know, observe the play. Yes, but you have one job. Don't run into the players. And uh, Nico sprained his ankle. We don't yet know the severity of the injury. Um David Ross, after the game, at least in the quotes I saw, 
was was kind of having it both ways. It was sort of, yeah, I think maybe just be a couple days, but also we don't know how bad it is until the swelling goes down. And it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> that's not as comforting as I would have liked. Um, and uh, that was one, that, that was but one injury to stack upon an avalanche of them for the Cubs uh, this year and continuing into this week. Look, look to your left, look to your right. Odds are both of those people are injured Cubs players. So I don't know. We, like if I if I put you two to the spot and I said name every injured Cubs player right now, do you think you would get it in one swift take, or and or how many do you think you would miss? Uh, probably quite a few. I think I can get Madrigal, Nico, Hermosillo. Nico's technically not on the IL, I guess. But those are off the top. There's probably more that I'm. Who else am I there missing? There are like here? five more this week alone. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. When Sean you, Newcomb, Seiya oh Suzuki. Yeah. Oh yeah, Seiya. Yeah, of course. And then you had the two COVID cases, and yeah, this just this week. That's well, just this week. And here's the thing: you, I mean, majority of those guys that that you and I just mentioned are the ones that win or lose, you need to figure out what those guys are this season. You want them playing as much as possible. And Hey, maybe the, I I don't know exactly what's going on with Madrigal. Maybe this is a good opportunity for him to reset. Maybe there's a rehab stint uh, coming in his future. Maybe this will work out best for him. The Nico and the Saya injuries are the two that you definitely, there's no positives really to draw from them. Saya. Uh, you know, totally a day-to-day thing right now, it seems, and, and they're trying to figure out when when he can be back in the lineup. The Nico one is, now that we just don't have any information on it yet, and that's the one that you have to wonder what, if this is a a more severe ankle sprain where, you know, he's missing a month plus, that it just goes right back to you know what we discussed in the off season. You don't know what you're going to get from him. Like he's got, he hasn't played a full season. He, he get in he gets injured far too often, uh, and and it's just really difficult to know what you have to find out what he is. You're starting to find out what he is when healthy, and and it's really positive. And now and now with this, if it, it kind of throws a wrench into things, it makes you wonder you know what he can. Which be. by the way. That's not you saying this was Nico's fault for the injury. So I was just saying because the there have been so many injuries over the years, and this one included, it's been very hard to know what you have in Nico Horner when we were it. It, it felt like, and we talked about it on this pod so many times. It felt like he was emerging as oh, he is a legit starting shortstop defensively in the big leagues. That's great. Let's see what the bat can do. And you know, under the hood, he's been having a fantastic year at the plate. So, yeah, it, it absolutely sucks to see him go out for any amount of time and or, like you always worry, to have his performance compromised. Even if he can play with an ankle, it's like, shit, what about that lateral movement at shortstop now? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot, even going back to spring training, and we all wrote about kind of the awkward fits on the the roster and how it's kind of misshapen. And now we're seeing how much worse it can get when you start pulling off um, – you know, multiple infielders from your opening day lineup. Uh, we were wondering what would happen with Jason Hayward. Well, is he like their second best available outfielder right now? Like, period. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like, this is how you know, we knew that the Cubs farm system, a lot of the talent is weighted towards the uh, 
younger end, the lower levels of the system. But Brad, I think you mentioned the other day of just like the amount of position players on the 40 man (laughs) roster. And, you know, I think at some point we're going to be seeing, you know, the Nelson Velasquez types. I mean, guys like that. I mean, Morel is on the 40 man too. Like not saying that these guys have necessarily earned it or are ready, but if all these 40 man roster spots are so precious, we're going to see guys kind of forced up and, you know, that will be at least something different. It'll be like an interesting wrinkle. It's not like the best way to compete uh, this year, but I do think those auditions we expected after the trade deadline, I think some of them might pop up sooner than anyone would have anticipated. I love that you mentioned that because you took the words right out of my mouth that, you know, in a year when Cubs might not be competitive anyway, and when you know that the time period for bringing these guys up might be pretty limited because it's just sort of a strict injury replacement at a dire time of tons of injuries. I think often about like, well, what's the cost? You know, what's, what is the downside of Nelson Velasquez coming up for a couple weeks? I mean, what is it? I, I can't see what that downside is. Same thing with Christopher Morrell. It's like, he's on the 40 man already, whatever, bring him up, let him get a taste, let him be around the big leaguers. And then he's back down again. That way you don't have to DFA anyone else. You don't have to figure out how to coordinate someone else on the roster for a short time and then maybe have used up another 40-man spot for heading into the offseason. I, I, there's That isn't necessarily a rhetorical point because there may be an answer why it's like, no, here's why it's really not a great idea to do that with these guys right now. Um, I just can't see what it is. And so there is a part of me, especially those two guys, those two that we just named. Now, Morel is still at AA Tennessee. He played a bit at AAA last year. They had a very crowded infield, so he went back to AA to start this year, and he's just crushing. So he'll be up at Iowa soon enough anyway. And with those two in particular, I just feel like, <clears throat> you know, if the outfield is going to be this depleted and if the infield is going to be this depleted, whatever, bring them up, give them a taste. You know what? I just don't get what the downside is. And Not that I'm rooting for, like, Nico to have to go on the I.L., or for Andrelton Simmons not to be ready to come back by the time that Nico goes on the IL. But I'm just saying, if that's where we're at, you've got guys on the 40, man. You might as well use them. Yeah, I mean, I guess the downside can always be like the the factors that you can't measure, right? Like how do they handle the failure that likely will come because they're not ready for the majors? And if it's just if they're completely overmatched, how does that how does that impact them mentally? I mean, these are things you just can't measure and and things that uh, the Cubs should know best, right? They should know these right. players. We don't have visibility. Right. Stuff, yeah. And and they should know those things best. Like, how, how does this guy handle failure? How would he handle? Uh, and when, you know, when it's properly explained to them that, hey, this is just, a, you know, we need roster spots filled and we, we need someone up there. We're not expecting you, you know, to to go out there and, and you know hit the crap out of the ball just yet. Uh, there's still developmental, you know, points that you need to hit anyways. Uh, beyond this, uh, you'll, you know, you keep working on whatever you're working on and, and see what happens type thing. So may- maybe it'd be fine. And I, I I don't really disagree with you. It's, it's gotten to that point with the injuries that that you have to consider that type of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that that they're not like the top, top prospects that are knocking on the door that Cubs fans could get excited about though. I mean, Velasquez is interesting, but I mean, what's his ultimate ceiling as well. It's not some impact outfielder, right? That's 
theoretically Brennan Davis, who hasn't been in the lineup for a week with a tight back and and even before that was really struggling. So uh, there's just, you know, at the upper levels, as far as position players go, there's not a lot for Cubs fans to be all pumped about. These injuries don't even like give them that like side, uh, uh, you know, happiness of hey, maybe we get get to see someone for two weeks. You know, like wasn't it Schwarber was called up originally for an injury, right? So like something like that, that you don't even get that right now, which is unfortunate. Just a quick slide in on that. I think what they did with Schwarber too, if I remember correctly, it was, hey, you're coming up because we need you right now, but you are definitely going back down, you know, when whatever happens. And I liked that at the time because it sort of addressed the issue you were talking about, Sahadev, where guys might put a little too much pressure on themselves to be like, I got to kick ass immediately so I can stay. This is my moment. This is my chance. I do like that idea of being like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you still have developmental check marks to hit. So you're coming up because we need you get some good experience, whatever, but then you're going back down. Um, at a human level, maybe that's harder to pull off than I, than when I just say it in a podcast, but I feel like that is the wisest approach for that. And we'll see. It's going to depend on how injured some of these guys are. If Suzuki can come back, if Nico can come back, if Simmons is coming back, then some of this is mooted for now. I think too, the, when Schwarber came up, the Cubs had a stretch of uh, interleague games uh, in American league cities. So they kind of had yeah. that yeah. need. Um, but this is kind of ridiculous that uh, in terms of our podcast cadence here of like basically end of April, we're, we're like kind of looking ahead already just talking about buying at the uh, selling at the trade deadline. And it's only May 12th. And we're talking about the Nelson Velasquez kind of call ups auditions like. Oh, this has really been uh, we talked about heading into the season, some of like the worst case scenarios or kind of the lower end of their internal projections. And Brett, I think you've referenced this on Bleacher Nation of just like this has got to be like their whatever, like one percentile outcomes here. I mean, it's hard to imagine uh, how much worse this could have gone just kind of from the rotation to some of the guys who have not clicked on the position player side, to injuries, to you know, COVID things that are you know largely out of your control, um, to some of the elements earlier in the year where I think the Cubs feel like they probably should have won a, a couple more games uh, than they did and built up a little more cushion and, and that not happening. And now, uh, you know, to see a lineup without Suzuki, without um, – Horner, Madrill off the board, like Frazier still sideline. Like a lot of the things Cubs officials and Cubs fans were excited about and wanted to see is just off the table right now. And a lot of the those maybe it'll work guys mm-hmm. haven't, you know, and Frank yeah. Schwindel being a perfect example with his odyssey this week of things were just not working for him. The timing was clearly off. I think we talked about it last week. And so he was going to be sent down to Iowa to to get some time to work on things without that pressure. Uh, and then obviously the injury issues and the COVID potential for additional spread made the Cubs change their mind. And we'll see if he even has a chance to like, you know, convince the Cubs like, okay, never mind, we'll change our mind. Um, but yeah, I think 
I think it is hard to imagine, you know, it can always get worse. We joked, I think last week on that, but it is a little hard to imagine if you put yourself back in March and thinking about how every facet has gone. Boy, this is, this is pretty bad. This is down in that 10 percentile range of reasonable outcomes. And, uh, but, but I did want to say the Cubs are winners of two of their last three games. Now that's a six sixty seven winning percentage, my friends, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, that puts them on pace for what, like one hundred and twenty wins. So just uh, no one hundred and thirty, one hundred and thirty wins. So like, let's just you know keep keep an eye on that. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for tiny little signs of of some of these, uh, you know, will this work out? Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and when, when talking with people with the Cubs, like who's looking, who's putting in work. Who's 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 looking better than the numbers say they are? I was told, and this is while he'd been sitting for a few games, that Ortega was working on a lot and and looked really good. And and, he, he's, and he's been getting results lately. And he's too. been getting the results lately. Like, it, I mean, that's the type. But that just gets me back to <laughs> like these are the types of things that we're grasping at as positives. Like he puts a couple get good games together, has a couple, you know, well-struck balls and, and he's got an 89 way to run created plus. And it's like, well, there's a positive for you. So it's, <laughs> it's not, these aren't like the greatest things for Cubs fans to really enjoy. But I, I do, I did think he, the last few games I've been trying to pay attention to his at bats and they've looked good. He's looked good. And, and you know, that's something small. He's not really a piece for the future, so to say, but you know, something's working behind the scenes possibly. <laughs> so, so you could take that, uh, uh, Beyond that, I just feel like it's it's tough to to take these positives. It's tough to find what what's working. You can you can look at. I mean, we've said this every podcast, but you can you got to go to Myrtle Beach, I guess. So, sort of on the Zoom here, you had this kind of like Larry David hesitation move, just like your facial expressions and your shrug. You're just, oh, maybe that's a positive, I guess. Like, <laughs> It sounded. I'm sure it'll sound totally convincing on the podcast. Just seeing you on the video screen was like. I was just trying to put that in the background. I think that. I think people will. will I think good. I did you that. Identify. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was identifiable. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, we should like there. There were things this series, of course, that were nice to see. Scott Efros once again just. Gosh, like you think of firemen and that is him and then some. And that's been great to see. I think um, the fact that the Cubs won this series on the road against a very good Padres team, despite the decimation of all those injuries. I mean, that's encouraging in the abstract or it's enjoyable, at least in the abstract. Um, I think it was interesting to see Keegan Thompson get the start uh, in that finale not not really a traditional start maybe is he's he would still be in that like stretching out phase if he were actually going to take continued starts uh and i know that he said he was trying to treat it like a relief appearance and you know he got he got whiffs he got some whiffs it was the the issue that we talked about last year when he was starting it seemed like he was maybe conserving a little too much and not able to miss bats and when he would come into the game out of the bullpen it was like he was a different pitcher. He was he was the, the stuff was crisper. The velocity was a, a click better, and obviously we saw that from him out of the bullpen so far this year. So I was not necessarily nervous to see him start, but just very interested. And 
I thought he looked okay. He left a, a lot of stuff belt high, got hit hard on a lot of stuff. Didn't he only got the one strikeout? So it was not necessarily great, but um, I it wasn't night and day like it was last year. I don't know if that was your guys' sense as well. But do we do we think he's going to get additional starts from here? Or was that just a well? Strowman's on the IL. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Justin Steele, so we just need to do this. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that <laughs> I think everything is kind of day to day with those decisions, and and I, I don't think anything's written in stone. Uh, I mean, it, it makes sense to get him more more starts at some point, right? Uh, you'd like to know what he is going forward for sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it, I mean. There's not been much of an update that I've seen on Strowman, right? So, I mean, I'd say until we know what's going on there uh, and when he's coming back, uh, yeah, he he may get another start, but I wouldn't I wouldn't lock it in or anything like that. And am I missing? This is the thing. Now I'm forgetting if there's another. Is there another injury in the rotation outside of? Well, Alec Mills is still out. Alec Mills, but Wade Miley out, but... has come back. So, I mean. I, I would guess that Strowman would be back before uh, Keegan makes his next start. And Keegan is just valuable enough in the – I mean, so valuable out of the bullpen that he that Ross would prefer to do that. And and Steele looked good enough his last start that you say, okay, keep keep going with this and, and see where where this can go. Can he build off that and uh, – and and really turn into something because I think there is something there with Steele. Like there's there are flashes there that make you think that if this guy can give you six innings. Uh, you know that, that that's it. Suddenly becomes interesting. A, a guy with stuff from the left side. It's uh, I think it's worth pushing Steele a little bit further in the rotation now that we've seen some flashes that you know things are starting to come together, especially this year. Yes, of course. Yeah, I think ultimately Keegan Steele and Azale, I think ultimately the Cubs probably deep down view them as those nice multi-inning relievers and they want to get creative uh on that side, but to your point like the circumstances of this day-to-day existence, I think they need to keep kind of Keegan in the hopper there as a potential option and I think I'm just looking up here too like he he threw almost 130 innings in 2018. And since then, there's been like that huge drop off. I don't know exactly what he could kind of get to this year in terms of like bulk starts. But yeah, I think from our perspective, we're definitely curious because at least it's something kind of different to uh, talk about. Like it's definitely one of those uh, classic like spring training job battle type things that can help us get through here uh, content wise. But um I'm not sure if there's like a huge belief that, you know, he is, you know, this sort of uh, next starting pitcher. They've had trouble enough developing that. And clearly Steele was kind of above him in the pecking order uh, coming into this year. Yeah, I I wonder if we will see, uh, assuming health elsewhere, Thompson back into that multi-inning role uh, until we get into the second half. And then, you know, it'd be certainly possible where you could see a couple arms moved out um, in, in late July, early August. And then you'd have maybe a little more 
flexibility and incentive to be like, okay, let's let's give a guy like Keegan Thompson a couple more starts uh, in advance of the offseason because, you know, the reality is the Cubs are going to have to remake the rotation again <laughs> this offseason, like entirely again. And um, I'm sure they would love to know, like you said, Mooney, okay, are those three guys – do we really just have to view them as really, really good multi-inning relievers? There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. I mean, they, they each of them genuinely, this isn't just like trying to make, you know, lemonade. Each of them genuinely has a unique ability to be very good in a multi-inning role in a way that not a lot of relievers do. Um, it's just, it's hard to have a bullpen of eight guys where three of them are that type because I think it can leave you short sometimes and so i think they would love to know if at least one of them could head into 2023 as is a back-end starter and then they would know more what they need to target this offseason at the front of the rotation i think you can also i agree with you that it's if all three are going to always be used as multi-inning guys then it's really hard to make that work right you have to have a tremendous tremendous balance do that well, why, why does that sound weird? Why do I sound like I'm not talking normally? Okay, <laughs> you have to, <laughs> you have to, you have to really find a good balance with that. And uh, it, it, but I also think like it, you can use them as one inning guys, right? You don't have to use them all the time as multi inning guys. And all three of them have shown that. It, I mean, I especially Steele, right? Steele had a lot of one inning bursts last year. I mean, he could be a really good one inning guy on occasion. And and also, you know, when you need that length, get that out of him on occasion. I I think it could work if they're all bullpen arms. But yeah, you, obviously you have to find out what they are. It almost feels like maybe this is unfair, uh, but it almost feels like there's no other choice now with Alzali. He's lost so much development time uh, that that you just have to go that route with him. But, you know, I, I guess there's, there's been success stories in the past, the, the rare success story where it works out with so many setbacks, but, uh, it, he, and he can, and we've seen him come out of the pen and just be like a three inning, just dominant arm. So, I mean, even better than Keegan. Uh, so I, I think that he could be really valuable as if he can stay healthy for a full season and, and give you like a, I don't know, a hundred innings out of the bullpen, if that's reasonable, maybe even a little less. Yeah. I mean, this is what, like the fifth year we've talked about Alzali of maybe stepping forward and with Steele, this would be essentially his second kind of auditioning phase. And uh, to Brett's point, I mean, the Cubs are going to have to totally remake their pitching staff next year. There's kind of no way around it. And I think, you know, this will be more of a second half type thing, but we all know Caleb Killian is like the guy that they think can be um, a mid rotation big league starter for a long time. And, you know, he's kind of checking all those boxes. He is right. Not on the 40 man, right? Correct. So but he's rule five, but he's rule five eligible after the season. Okay. So I mean, I think he's pitching well enough and the need is acute enough that it'll kind of, um, make that decision for the Cubs, but uh, you know, maybe you pencil in him. I guess we see if they hold on to Stroman and Hendricks at the trade deadline or not. And then, you know, from there you're still looking at, you know, 60 starts, uh, you know, close to 400 innings that where, where's it going to come from? 
Well, 20 of those starts are going to come from Jacob deGrom, so you can uh, you can lock those in next year. Well, a, Syndergaard, the, a Syndergaard, you know, I mean... See, oh, and, you know. well, the Cubs are just going to get the band back together. The, old, uh, the guys they didn't acquire with... Remember when they had too many shortstops? Yeah, that's right. And they were going to get one of Matt those Arby's Mets pitchers. Matt still available, right? Matt... He's Matt still Harvey, out there. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Harvey. They could they could do it. Uh all right. Well that's where <laughs> that's where we'll leave it um today. And uh I'm not I'm not entirely kidding about DeGrom, by the way. I mean he's got an opt out. I'm just I'm just you know, I'm just laying those tracks. So uh the Cubs will stay out west. They got the Diamondbacks, these the surprisingly competitive Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, who I believe always play really well at home too. So that could be a tough series for the Cubs. Um, and we will be back at you on Monday after that series. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I'm Brett Taylor. Get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. Take care all. See you soon. 